When those who drew up the Declaration of Independence were gathered together, they wrote these famous words, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. This was drawn up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on July the 2nd, 1776 by the Second Continental Congress. And of course, we celebrate that on July the 4th uh, and we call it Independence Day. I could go over this, maybe I will briefly. We, that is the people, the voters, the citizens, the taxpayers, we hold, we endorse, we confess, we support, and we believe. We believe these truths, not simply good ideas or philosophies, that these are self-evident, that they are obvious, that they need no proof that all men are created equal. Men did not evolve, but they were created, and they were created equal. At birth, all men are equal. They're not equal after that, because people do this and do that, and some don't do this and don't do that. And they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Endowed means they are given, they are blessed, they are bestowed, by their Creator, what is under consideration here are certain specific gifts are being considered. Inalienable. Inalienable means that which cannot be taken away and cannot be transferred. These are inalienable rights. A right means that which is moral, just, and honorable. In other words, no one has a right to that which is immoral, unjust, or dishonorable. And that among these are, there are three rights they set forth. Life, no one has a constitutional right to destroy another life needlessly. Liberty, once one is born, they are entitled to liberty under God and under law and the pursuit of happiness. So life and liberty are the means of happiness. And it says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. In other words, the major purpose of government, of the government of the United States, is to ensure life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That this government derives its just powers from the consent of the government of the governed. The government has no power within itself, but it must have the consent of the citizens. 
It goes on to say that when a government, any form of government, becomes destructive to those ends, it's the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government that seems to affect their safety and happiness. So this is a fourth right given the citizens of the United States to change or abolish any government which begins to consistently destroy the aforementioned rights and establish a new government which will ensure their safety and their happiness. Now what is not usually mentioned is at the end of this they said, we appeal to the supreme judge of the world for rectitude of our intentions. That is, we are appealing to the God who made us and created us and gave us these liberties and freedoms. We are appealing to him about the rightness of what we are doing. And the last statement they made is, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. They said, we're trusting God to guide us in all of these things. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about freedom. In fact, the concept that we have in the United States, in the West, regarding freedom, is solidly built upon the biblical concept of freedom as set forth not only by the laws in general in Scripture, but especially upon the law of Moses. The first time freedom is mentioned is in Exodus 21, and it was talking about there a servant who had sold himself to someone in order to survive, and it says that he must be given his freedom in the seventh year. There were rules about the freedoms given the citizens of Israel, including servants, bondmaids, and ordinary citizens. There were laws regarding freedom as relating to immoral or indecent behavior. That is, freedom does not mean free to do anything or to act any way or to live any style, lifestyle, whatsoever, freedom was a limited freedom under God. It was conditional upon what he said. Why was that? Why were there conditions? Because the word of God takes into account the sinful nature of man. That he was not a creature who could be given unconditional freedom because if given unconditional freedom, he would destroy himself and others with it. But when the Creator created man, he gave him freedom. Adam in the Garden of Eden, but that freedom was conditioned. He said, you can have everything in the garden, but there's one tree, don't want you to eat of that. That's the condition. And if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. You can go anywhere in the garden. You can eat anything you want to eat. But you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It will bring death to you. What did man do with his freedom? He used his freedom to destroy his freedom. 
the very thing we're doing today in this nation. An extended talk about this subject will have to wait to another day because I would like to deal with the truth about freedom from the Gospel of John chapter 8, which we read from earlier. The Lord Jesus Christ is talking to some people who believe that they are free. They believe that they have never been in bondage to anyone. Jesus tells them that they are, in fact, slaves. They are not free because, he says, if the Son shall make you free, that's verse 36, John's Gospel, chapter 8, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He says in verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So let me make several simple points and then draw a conclusion. Number one, the way to freedom, the freedom that the Lord Jesus is talking about, and the heart of all real freedom is faith in the Lord Jesus as Messiah. You become his disciple. You see, it says here in verse 31, If you continue in my word, you are my disciples. That word there that comes from a Greek term, mathetes, and it means a learner, a pupil. You're under my spiritual discipline. You can see that the word disciple there looks like the root of the, of the word discipline. Discipline doesn't just mean being spanked or whipped or made, put in line. It means you come under the orders of someone, of your teacher. There are two types of disciples. There are disciples who are disciples in word, and there are those who are disciples in deed. He says here, if you continue in my word, verse 31, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. The implication is, if you do not continue in my word, you are not really my disciple. In 1 John chapter 2, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John wrote the little epistles of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. In 1 John chapter 2, John talks about some people who had been in the church, who had been among them, but he said they left. And he made this statement, John, 1 John 2.19. He said, they went out from of, of us, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. Now, I cannot conceive of a greater deception than for one to profess to be the disciple of Jesus while not continuing in his word. We are told today, and people misunderstand all the time, when you make a statement like, when you give a nod to Jesus, well, that puts you in good stead with the Father in heaven and you're heaven bound. And they don't understand that the scripture not only talks about faith, but it talks about the 
the quality of faith. Today, the emphasis in many churches is on the quantity of faith. How much do you believe? Do you have strong faith? Can you believe God for this? Can you believe God for that? But the scripture emphasizes what kind of faith. The scripture emphasizes the quality of faith. I'll tell you what. We'll come right back to this. I'm going to read to you from 1 John <clears throat> chapter 2 and chapter 3. I've already quoted part of it, but let me just read some of this for you to listen to. 1 John 2, 19, which I've just quoted. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made known that they were not all of us. Then in chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, he says this. He says, verse 7, little children, don't let any man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. And it's for this purpose that the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, is he saying that a Christian doesn't sin? If he is, we're all lost. Go back to chapter 1 of 1 John. Chapter 1. 1 John, chapter 1. He says in verse 6, If we say we are in fellowship with Him, and we're walking in darkness, we're lying. And we do not the truth. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son, and in the Greek it is in a continuous, he, His Son, the blood of Jesus Christ His Son keeps on cleansing us from all sin. Now look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So he's not talking about sinless perfection. In fact, <coughs> as I've often pointed out over the years, there are a couple of different words translated sin. There's one word, hamartia, it means to miss the mark. It means that no matter how hard you try, you're still imperfect. That's why we look forward to the time when we shall be like him. We shall be made like him. We shall see him as he is, and we shall be made like him. We look forward to that time. But the other sin is anomia sin. That's a deliberate, willful, continual transgression. A lot of times, a lot of the people of God are thrown into despair, because they're still looking to themselves rather than to Christ, and they are not able to live up to the standard that even they have set for themselves. There's a balance between that, between looking to Christ and trusting in Christ and going on with Christ, and at the same time not letting up so that we become loose in our lives. He tells us in 1 John, a famous passage, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is faithful. 
and he is just. It is a matter of justice. If our sins have been paid for, then it is a matter of justice that he forgives us of our sins. If you go down to the bank, the bank is going to take your house, they're going to take your automobile, they're going to take everything you've got. You go down to the bank and you find, they look up your account and they said, I'm sorry, sir, you must be mistaken. Your whole bill here has been paid. Your bill has been paid. If your bill is paid, my friends, you're free. So we have to continue to look to Christ and at the same time, if we are thankful to him for what he's done for us, why wouldn't we want to live for him? Even though it's imperfect. It's an imperfect life that we live. But we're not saved by the life we live. We're saved by the life he lived. We're not saved by our love for him. We're saved by his love for us. That must never be confused. At the same time, if we really are not concerned about living for the Lord, looking for the Lord, pleasing the Lord, I would go back and question whether I really know the Lord. Have I ever really trusted the Lord? I cannot conceive, I say again, of a greater deception than for one to profess to be Jesus' disciple while not continuing in his word, however imperfect that might be. The Lord Jesus warned us in several places. In Matthew chapter 7 and in Luke chapter 13, he talks about a straight gate, S-T-R-A-I-T. Not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, straight as opposed to crooked. But S-T-R-A-I-T is an old English word that means narrow. It means compressed. It means cramped. Have you ever been to Fat Man Squeeze on Lookout Mountain? When I was a little boy, my parents said, we're going to take you up to Fat Man Squeeze. I couldn't even sleep the night before because I was afraid I couldn't squeeze through it. I wasn't very big. When I got married, I weighed 140 pounds. And when I was afraid of Fat Man Squeeze, I probably didn't weigh 75 pounds. I had a little act I used to do. I was so thin I could turn sideways, stick up my tongue, and pretend I was a zipper. That's how thin I was. I was extremely thin. Fat man squeeze worried me. But when I got there, I found out I could squeeze through it just fine. The straight gate that Jesus speaks about, he says straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, he uses a Greek word that means agonize. Adgozidgomai. Adgonidzomai. Translated, strive. Agonize. To enter in. Jesus tells us about the fool that said, I'll build my house on the sand. 
And then when the rains come and the floods come and the rains and the floods of this world will come. In my neighborhood, I hope none of you got hurt this past week, but in my neighborhood we had some wind and several big trees came down. One of my neighbors, he had a tree that was the length of his yard. It, it was a huge tree, and I guess it was grown into two areas, and one area fell off, and that thing must have been 40, 50 feet. It was huge. Its girth, it probably was a couple of feet in diameter. It was big. Fortunately, by the grace of God, the Lord blew it sideways. His house was right here, so it blew this way. If it had blown this way, it would have destroyed his house. But many of you know Brother Billy Morton up in Evansville, Indiana. The reason Billy is not here today is because a, the wind blew a huge, a huge tree on his parents' home. And he's having to negotiate with all the insurance companies and all the rest of it about that. The Lord Jesus warns us by telling us, don't feel that you can go in this straight gate and then you get into a great big wide pasture. Well, you can just run around and do what you want to do. No, he says straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Once you get through the gate, narrow is the way. And unless we are really trusting him, there may come a time when we say, well, I just, you know, I'm just going to throw up my hands. I'm going back. What's the use? Well, if you really are his disciple, you will not do that. If you have really believed on him, you will continue to believe on him and continue to trust him. Well, that fool that said, I'm going to build my house on the sand is not accounting for the floods and the storms that come to us in this life. We can have the storms and floods of disease. We've got the storms and floods of death. We've got all kinds of problems that we will face by virtue of the fact that we're in a fallen world. And we have so many preachers today. Would you mind turning to 2 Peter? Let me see if you can find that. Let's go a little bit further toward the end of the Bible. Back the other way from 1 John. Just go back two or three pages. Away from the end of the Bible, I should have said. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, we're warned here about teachers... False teachers who promise liberty to others when they themselves are in bondage. Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. When they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that will clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. From whom a man is overcome or the same he's brought in bondage. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled, and here's the key word, and overcome. That's the key word. Overcome. Completely throw the gospel, the Lord, everything away. Overcome so that we stay in that state. We remain in that state. We live in that state. We die in that state. 
the latter end is worse with them than the, than the beginning. It had been better, verse 21, for them not to have known the way of righteousness, so they knew something, than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has returned to his vomit again, and the sow that was washed to a wallowing in the mire. You know, that's an awful thing that dogs do, isn't it? Some of you have dogs and you love those puppies. We have one. But that's what a dog will do. Why will they do that? Because it is their nature. Suppose you could put the nature of a lamb into a dog. Still looks like a dog, still barks like a dog, still runs like a dog, but it's got the spirit of a lamb in it. Would it ever go back to what it had regurgitated? No, because lambs don't do that. But when the spirit of the dog is not changed, it will act according to its nature. And we have hundreds of thousands, millions of people in churches today, I told you, I gave you some statistics last week, a week before, about how many people no longer even believe in a God who creates the world. I told you, if you believe in God, as James says, James chapter 2, I think it's verse 19, he said, you believe in God, good for you. Well, he said, the devils also believe and tremble. So you've moved up to the level of demons by believing in God. But you've got to go beyond that if you're going to be reconciled to God. You have to come to a knowledge of His Son. And so today we have millions of people who say they no longer believe even in a Creator God. And you've got many of them in the pulpit who are promising other, others liberty and salvation. And they themselves are not saved. A true disciple is a disciple indeed. Let's go back to John's Gospel, chapter 8, please. John's Gospel, chapter 8. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Verse 31, John 8. Indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Knowing the truth and knowing Christ is one and the same thing. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So the first thing we have to know is the way to freedom, the freedom that God gives you is through faith in Jesus as Messiah. Number two, truth is the very nature of freedom. Verse 32, the truth is shall make you free. Can one be free who believes a lie? Again, we may fall. We may wander. It's like Noah and his family on that ark. I imagine when those floods came and the earth broke up with water and floods coming from the heavens, I imagine that 
that ark, which was shaped very much like a Bible, you may not know that, but the proportions of the ark very much like a Bible, except a little higher. It wasn't made to ski behind. It was just made to float. But when the waters came down, I imagine that ark was doing that, and it may have thrown Noah and his family around. There are three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their three wives might have been thrown around, but one thing about it, they weren't thrown off the ark. They fell down in the ark, but they didn't fall off of it. And so as a Christian, you may fall, you may falter. You may feel that sometimes you're going back. You may even feel sometimes you don't really know the Lord. But go on. Go on in the truth. Keep your nose in the scripture. Keep your ears attuned to the preaching of the word of God where you can hear it in truth. We may fall, but we cannot continue to live after the flesh and at the same time confess to be a spiritual person. Number three, truth reveals our bondage. Truth reveals our bondage. Notice this, verse 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and truth to make you free. And they said, verse 33, how can you talk to us about being free? We've never been in bondage. Well, one thing about it, you can't set a free man free. You can't pay off the debts of a person whose debts are already paid. You can't forgive a person who already has forgiveness. There's no sense setting a stake before somebody who just had one or offering water to one who's not thirsty. You see, the Spirit of God, it is the Spirit of God who brings people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing he does is he shows you about your bondage. He shows you that you're a sinner. He shows you that you need a Savior. You see, these poor Jewish people, they thought that their relationship to Abraham made them children of God. Look at verse 33. They said, we are Abraham's seed, and we've never been in bondage. My goodness, go back and look at the history of the Jews and the history of Israel. They didn't know anything but bondage. They were captured by the Syrians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and then they were in Egypt for 430 years, and they said, we've never been in bondage to anybody. That's the height of arrogancy and pride is what that is. Oh, don't talk to us about being free. We've never been in bondage. Well, brother, if you've never seen that you're in bondage, you can't possibly see that you're free. Jesus responds by saying, if you have ever sinned, verse 34, you are, and that word is D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos, you are the slave of sin. Verse 34, it's kind of like getting something injected into your body that will destroy eventually your entire body. If you've ever sinned, you become the slave of sin and liable for the punishment that's associated with sin. The word here translated servant in most of your uh, translations, maybe slaves in some of you, 
is a word that means, this is the definition of this word, doulos. D-O-U-L-O-S. This is the word, and this is what it means. It means one who gives up himself or herself to the will of another. When you give yourself up to the will of another, you're that person's or that thing's slave. I can't be happy with giving myself up and at the same time give myself up to Christ. Notice verse 32, the truth will make you free. Notice verse 36, if the Son shall make you free. If you know the truth about yourself and know the truth about Christ and know the truth of the gospel, you'll be made free. Only Jesus can set us free. You see, what he's saying here is he says, the servant, verse 35, the servant, the slave, does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. What he's saying here is if my connection to the family of God is that of a bondservant, then I don't have any natural tie to the family. So only the son can give me an invitation, give me a card, give me something that allows me to be part of the family. I think that's very clear here. We read about the bondwoman and her son in Genesis 21 and Galatians chapter 4, where Abraham had a wife. His, her, his wife's name was what? Sarah. And she hadn't had any children. And they became despondent because Abraham was old beyond having children. Sarah was old. Her womb was dead. But God said, no, Abraham, you'll have a son. And Sarah said, no, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I tell you what, Abe, I've got this Egyptian maid. Isn't that what women are doing today? I can't have a child, so I let somebody else have a child for me. Well, that's thousands of years old. And so Abraham went in unto Hagar, and Hagar bore a son named Ishmael. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, No. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. I'm going to give you a son. But how can that be? <laughs> well, nothing is impossible with God. And what happens is when he does something, he does it in such a way that we have to say, only God could have done that. So he waits till Abraham's 99 years old. He waits till Sarah's about 90. And then through a miracle, he gives them a child. And this is all discussed in Galatians chapter 4. And in that passage in Galatians 4, verse 22 through 30, the writer there, who is Paul, he says that the whole affair of Abraham and Hagar trying to produce an heir is a picture of works of us trying to make ourselves righteous with God. 
he says that the scenario of God giving Abraham and Sarah a son is a picture of the miraculous nature of our salvation. It's a miracle that a sinner like me could be part of the family of God in heaven. It is a miracle, my friends. It's equivalent to Abraham having children at 100 years old and Sarah bearing a child at 90. It's a miracle. We've lost the wonder. We've lost the awe associated with salvation. Only the Son, he says in verse 36, only the Son can set us free. You can do what you want and get what you want, but only the Son can set you free. Now here's what I want. To, here's the application I'm going to make to this, and I'm almost through. You got a lot of talk today about freedom. You have hundreds of thousands of women that say, "My body is mine. I want to be free to have children. I want to be free to abort children." You've got the LGBTQ movement. We want freedom to be what we are, to love who we want to, to marry who we want to. Now, here's what I want to tell you. You can have all of that, but you'll never have the freedom that God gives. You'll never have it. See, freedom is of a different nature than just having your way. One of the great curses of the Lord upon people is he lets them have their way. <laughs> Man, I pray all the time, don't let me have my way, not my will, but thine be done. Don't let me have my will. Don't let me have my way. Don't let me have my works. <laughs> I, want, I want what you want, Lord. And my flesh rises up all the time. Does your flesh do that? Only the Son can set us free. And so you can have what you want if you want to be homosexual, if you want to be uh, transgender, if you want to have surgery, you can have all of that. But I promise you this, you will never be free unless the Son sets you free. Unless He sets you free, you'll never be free. Freedom is more than just getting what you want. It's more than just having the right to do what you want to do and live like you want to live. And be what you want to be. It's something other than that. And this world doesn't understand that. Only the Son can set you free. I remember Martin Luther King, that famous speech, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last. There ain't no freedom to those that are parading in the streets, burning cities, blaming everybody else for their problems that they have. There is no Freedom from God in that. The person that's been set free is the person who's willing to bow to the will of God and trust Him for everything in life, from your food to the lifespan to your health to everything. You're trusting Him. You're not rioting in the street saying, I want to have my way. Get out of my way, buster. 
When you're doing that with God, it reminds me of the flea that jumped onto the elephant that was crossing the bridge. And when I got to the other side, the flea jumped off and said, we really shook him up, didn't we, Buster? We really shook him up. All right, let me hurry. I want you to look at two things. I've pointed this out before, but let's look at it again. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, truth to make you free. Verse 32. Now look at this. You, if you write in your Bible, you can write this in your Bible. They said, we be Abraham's, how many of you have the word seed? Seed in your Bible. Raise your hand if you have the word seed. Some of you have something else. That word translated seed there, or whatever you have, is the word sperma. S-P-E-R-M-A, sperm. Okay? Jesus, they said, we are Abraham's sperma. Verse 33. We're related to Abraham genetically. We're the children of the descendants of the descendants of the descendants of Abraham. All right? You think Jesus knew that? Well, look down at verse 37. Verse 37. Jesus said, I know that you are Abraham's sperma. S-P-E-R-M-A. Watch this now. But you're seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen, verse 38, with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and they said, Abraham is our father. Now watch this now. Jesus said in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children. This word is the word technon, T-E-K-N-O-N, technon. He uses a different word, sperma, technon. He said, you may be Abraham's sperma, but you ain't Abraham's children. The word technon means children. I know you're Abraham's sperma. That's what he says right there, verse 37. You're related to Abraham genetically. You can trace your lineage back to Abraham, your bloodline back to Abraham, but you're not Abraham's children, verse 39. You know why you're not Abraham's children? He says, if you were Abraham's children, verse 39, you would do the works of Abraham. What is Abraham known for? Abraham believed God. They said they believed God. Look at verse 42. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. I proceeded forth and came from God. I didn't come of myself. He sent me. Why don't you understand my speech? Because you can't hear my word. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. Now, if you come to church sometimes to get an uplifting message, you wouldn't have wanted to hear Jesus on that day. Well, Jesus, you didn't lift us up now. You didn't, you didn't pick us up now. You didn't, you're supposed to make us feel good. Not telling us we're children of the devil. When's the last time you've heard anything like that? That's what, that's what Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ said. He said, I know you're of your father the devil, and here's how I know, because you act like him. You resist me, you resist my words, you resist my ways. 
You will not come to me that you might have life. Verse 44, you are of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. That's saying you act just like your daddy. He was a murderer from the beginning and you want to murder me. He didn't stay in the truth and you don't want the truth because there's no truth in him. Verse 44, when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. He's a liar and he's a father of a liar. And because, verse 45, I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Verse 47, he that is of God hears God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because you are not of God. You can't get any clearer than that. Can't get any clearer, any plainer than that. So notice the play on those words, sperma and technon. Yes, you're Abraham's sperma, but you're not Abraham's technon. You're not Abraham's children. Your deeds reveal your standing. Verse 37. To refuse to hear Christ is to seek to kill him. Our nation is doing this now. The nation of the United States is doing this now. A while back, Kentucky passed a law that their children could not in the morning, didn't have to mention the name of Jesus, just couldn't say a little, a little poem that they sang. Thank you, God, for the rain. Thank you, God, for everything. They said, can't do that. Can't do that because it might make somebody think about, it might make them think about themselves and God and they said, in Kentucky, they said, you can't post the Ten Commandments in your schools. Don't kill. Don't steal. What are we doing in our schools today? What are we doing in our government? What are we doing everywhere? People rioting, burning cities down. What are we doing? Murdering, killing people. Perverted lifestyles. He says in verse 42, he that is of God loves God's son. He said, if God were your father, you'd love me. What's the problem? Verse 43, he said, you can't hear me. Why don't you understand my speech, verse 43, because you can't hear my word. You are incapable of hearing what I say. You can't hear the truth. You can't hear the truth about yourselves. You can't hear the truth about me. You can't hear the truth about being a true dis disciple. You can't hear the truth about repentance and faith. Disciples of Christ, according to verse 47, hear God's words. And so I close by saying this. The truth about freedom is that no nation, no people, and no individual can be free unless, listen now, unless you give up your freedom to become the slave of Christ. If you become the slave of Christ, you'll be the freest you're ever going to be in this world. But if you're free from Christ, you're the slave of this world. Now, isn't that crazy? No nation, no people, and no individual can be free 
You can get the government to pass laws and let you have what you want, do what you want to, but you'll never be free unless you become the doulos, the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't be slaves until the Son sets us free from our servitude to the father of lies. He said, you're of your father, the devil. So let me ask you this question. I'm going to go hurriedly because I'm going to finish. Verse 24, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Verse 24. You shall die in your sins. Verse 24, John 8. If you believe not that I am he, you will die in your sins. You see that? You believe Jesus is Messiah? Do you desire to be free from what enslaves you? Do you want to continue in his word regardless of how you failed him? Do you believe God? Abraham did, verse 39. Do you, do you love Jesus? Verse 42. God's children do. You want to hear God's word? Verse 47. Christ's disciples do. Verse 56. Do you rejoice in him? He said, your father, Abraham, the one you said is your father. He said, he rejoiced to see my day. Verse 56. He looked down through the corridors of time and he saw that Messiah was coming and it rejoiced his heart. Said, do you rejoice in him? If you rejoice in Christ, the Son has set you free. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word.